0: And we do a lot of our bottling at Glenmore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The so Owensboro,
0: the, right? Yeah. The little yeah. mini bottles. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let's go share a drink over our newfound connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around? You can order online at Sealbox or the thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. Kenny here today, and I've got a co-host. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show. This is uh, this is the official first time for you to actually be on here. I know we tried uh, a few months ago to get you on during a Skype call. We had some problems, but now I'm glad that you're able to help fill in for Ryan today because uh, Ryan's out busy doing his his actual job.
1: Thanks, Kenny. I really appreciate it. It's uh, an honor to have a spot start for Ryan. I hope I don't disappoint.
2: <laughs> All we need is your quick word remarks, and and hopefully we'll be good there. And uh, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's great. And I guess before we kind of dive in, to let people know a little bit more about you and uh, your affinity with bourbon as well.
1: Well, I, uh, I'm originally a California native, and uh, at that point, my uh, association with bourbon was mostly uh, some bad nights in college, and then. Uh, few years later, I met a Kentuckian, a Louisvillian. And uh, when we got serious and got married, I moved to, to Louisville and thought if I gonna get, get in good with my in-laws, I better learn how to drink bourbon. So uh, my first uh, venture was, uh, was um, drinking at her grandparents' house. When her grandfather asked me how I'd like my bourbon, I said, with a little bit of Coke, please. And he looked at me and said, <laughs> we don't mess with bourbon like that. I went straight up around the rocks. So that was my first indoctrination into bourbon. And it's been uh, a love affair ever since. I guess you also have some pretty decent family ties as well, since we're pretty much today is
2: going to be a a whole uh, kind of a common theme of family ties. But kind of give the listeners of of your family tie to bourbon as well.
1: Sure, sure. Um, So my wife's maiden name is Farnsley, and on her dad's side, um, Mayor Alex Farnsley, um, sorry, Mayor Mayor Charles Farnsley, uh, started uh, Rebel Yell and Yellowstone. And then on her mother's side, uh, they're Thompsons, and so James Thompson and Sons. They were one of the licensed distilleries during prohibition and later became glenmore distilleries and they sold to united distillers in the mid 90s
2: there you go see everybody's got ties around here except me so i'm i'm the lone man out but it's a good time to, to introduce our guest today. So today we have Freddie Johnson. Uh, if, for anybody that doesn't know Freddie Johnson, we should also mention that we are at the, the great Buffalo Trace Distillery today. And Freddie is what we consider the legendary tour guide here at Buffalo Trace. Uh, and for people that don't know, uh, Freddie is a legend. You know, he, he's he's a humble man. Uh, he won't admit to it, but his Yelp reviews are out of this world. Um, he's one of the most popular tour guides at Buffalo Trace, though few people, you know, who actually go through the tour understand that the decades of family history that have gone through his role. Um, In the most recent renovations, uh, he actually has, there's included historical photos uh, in the visitor center with a wall dedicated to the three generations of the Johnson family. And I'm going to go ahead and give some more kudos to him real quick, because these are some of the best reviews I could find on Yelp and TripAdvisor. And some of the reviews said he was very engaging, filled the tour with lots of useless information and fun facts, which we ate up eagerly. We learned more on this tour about the history and culture of bourbon than we learned on any other tour. Second one said, our children were afraid it might be boring, but our tour guide, Freddie Johnson, was engaging and had us all laughing. And the last one, they said, if there's a tour guide Hall of Fame were to be established, Freddie ought to be in its inaugural class of inductees. So with that, Freddie, welcome to the show. Gosh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, thanks, Kenny. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. See, it's, <laughs> did you even know that stuff existed about you online? No. Yeah. No, see, no. there you go.
2: We got you got to get a little bit of kudos right now. Hopefully, uh, the higher ups at Buffalo Trace they see that, and uh, maybe we'll get a, a nice little bonus check for Christmas this year. Then, right?
0: Or a good barrel of bourbon. Or a bottle of bourbon. There you go. See, you say bottle, (laughs) I say barrel. You know, let's... Oh, barrel. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, barrel would be nice, too.
2: (laughs) So, this is going to be an easy question for you, and we always ask our guests, um, but we really want to know, you know, your entire history and family history here about the bourbon industry, because it's really hard to kind of go on and ask our regular guests that were like, so how'd you get into bourbon? Um, yours is, yours is tied back into generations within your family. So, uh, feel free to be a a little long winded here and and let's try to capture all this information for our,
0: our, our listeners out there. Well, um, the, uh, I guess the, the bottom line for me is, is that I never really thought, uh, when I came back here to keep a promise that all this would happen. So originally what happened to me was my first encounter with Buffalo Chase distillery was uh, with my grandfather uh, and my dad. And I remember we used to fish on the riverbank behind the dry house. And I was five years old. And I remember climbing up the back bank of the distillery and peeking into the dry house and saw these big old dryers in there. And I was just fascinated with that kind of stuff. So my background is engineering chemistry and science. And so I saw these big dryers and I saw this stuff going into the dryers. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Steam pouring out everywhere. And I just thought it was kind of neat. So when I would go on the fishing trips with them, I would walk up in there. And I would just little bit by little bit. And finally, they uh, uh, they said, okay, let's go to the distillery. And so they uh, basically took me on a little tour of the distillery I was fascinated with this place. I've been around whiskey, the whiskey part of it all my life, but the mechanics, I never really experienced that. And it was just really kind of cool. So I guess that was my first encounter with it. And um, as I, you know, as I progressed through school, I just remembered bits and pieces. I would come down here with my dad from time to time and we would still fish. We would still do things together. And I remembered how secure it used to be. Uh, you didn't just walk around the distillery. Uh, you had security guards, you had people watching everything. There were things that you could do, things that you could not do, places you could not go. And because of my dad and my granddad, I was able to go into some of the warehouses and see some of the barrels aging. And I just, I remembered Warehouse C and I thought that was the coolest place in the world. What made what made Warehouse C so cool for you? Uh, I think when I look back on it, I think it was just being with my grandfather and having him open the doors and see in there with him as he walked in there and talked to me about the barrels. I just I said, this is so cool. And so, you know, a lot of people don't realize um, when you start chatting with people that have been around the whiskey business for a while, it's just like what Matt was talking about. It's contagious. Um, it's not just a bottle of whiskey on a shelf in the store. Uh, when you really get into the whiskey-making business and you realize all the different variables associated with making your product unique, it blows your mind. I mean, it absolutely blows your mind. And each person that's a part of that is really a part of the taste profile of your product. And people don't even think about it that way. So that's what blew me away was. Uh, they think about a moonshiner. And usually the image that comes to your mind was a, an old, rough-looking guy in bibbed overhauls. They always had that funny-looking hat on their head, always had a gun and a dog and a bunch of whiskey barrels. And maybe a banjo, right? Well, yeah, and, every now and, then, yeah, and the bluegrass. That, that, uh, well, I learned that there's two different types of music because on my mom's side, I'm from the hills of Kentucky, Breathitt County, they call it Bloody at Jackson, Kentucky. And uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was a coal miner. Okay. But uh his buddies ran Moonshine Steals Out of the Coal Mine. So I learned the fun part of making moonshine. And on my granddad's side and my dad's side, it was the official way or the proper way of making basically moonshine that get converted that gets converted <laughs> yeah. to, to bourbon or whiskey. The, the much longer the much The longer, longer the longer process, yeah. right? And so I had a nice mix of both. And what I learned from that was granddad. On my mom's side, um, um, we called him Papa Strong. Um, he, was a, he was a Fred, so I was named after him. And uh, it was a very rough life. On my dad's side and my granddad's side, working here at this distillery, they were the ones that were dressed and had, clo- had a proper attire that you came to work in, had certain things that you did, and, and it was just an entirely different structure. And so I learned that the bourbon industry was a disciplined industry. OK. And the moonshine industry was footloose and francy free. You did a lot of stuff. They got a kick out of beating the revenueers from catching them. OK. So it was just different. So what I learned along the way was integrity and um, basically um, being true to your word. So in this industry, if you made a commitment to do something, you pretty much. We're going to do it. You're saying, unless something really bad happens to me, I'm going to do this for you. And that's what this industry, I feel, was built on. And so the generation to the next generation to the next generation, not only at Buffalo Chase, but like the Beam family, you know, like Matt was talking about with his with his in-laws and their family, um, you didn't write a lot of stuff down because people stole your notes. So you relied on the next member or the next generation of your family so that that integrity and their name was always considered heads up. Right. So, um, so I just learned that along the way. And what happened to me, just to, to try to bring closure on this part, is what happened to me along the way was I had promised them that at some point in my life when I grew up, I said, well, I'll work at the distillery too. So I was supposed to be the next generation. Well, you know, we don't control the future, and we don't control the world that we live in, even though we think that we have a plan for this world. Uh, it's bigger than us. And what happened was when I got out of school in the 60s, if you think about it, the bourbon industry went flat. Right. So 60s to the 90s, Matt knows what I'm talking about. No big deal. Barrels were already, the warehouses were full of barrels of whiskey. There was no demand for it. So the whiskey just sat there aging. And then Elmer introduces Blanton's. First single-barrel bourbon to be sold commercially was Blanton's. And um, he had based that off of what Colonel Blanton had done with barrels from the warehouse that he used to have get-togethers. They called them burgoo parties. I think they were really bourbon parties. That's what they say. I was (laughs) like, I think we need some more burgoo parties around here. Yeah, I think that might help. That might help solidify a few things. (laughs) Um, But... What happened along the way that I didn't learn about until my dad started talking about it was these guys are very humble. They don't talk about things that they've done. And at one point we were talking about this distillery and dad said, well, you know, your granddad was the one that picked those barrels for Colonel Blanton for his parties. I said, I beg your pardon? He said, yeah. He said granddad had learned from, I guess, the Irish and the other folks that had come in here where these honey barrels were located in these old buildings. They're exceptionally sweet-tasting barrels of bourbon. And he would have my grandfather go in and pick out some of those barrels. And then from those, Colonel Blanton had a tremendous palace pallet on him. And he would select one of those and he'd say, okay, this is one we're gonna roll this one out at this get together. Mm-hmm. Well, granddad had passed that information, uh, that information along to my father. And so Elmer, um, was trying to jumpstart the industry. And Elmer is of Scottish descent, so he was looking for something to model after a single malt scotch. So he had my father go into the warehouse and pull out some of these honey barrels from areas that Granddad had shown him where they were. And from that, he selected the, the bourbon barrel that ultimately became Blanton's Bourbon. My father had said he was the one that pulled those barrels out. He'd said it for many years, but he never told anybody that he was the one that did that. History is amazing. When Elmer was recognized as one of only three living master distillers to have ever had a whiskey named after him, and it's only three of them, uh, Booker No, Booker's was mm-hmm. one, Jimmy Russell with Wild Turkey was the other one, Russell Reserve, and Elmer. And at that event, Elmer recognized my father as being the one who had selected those barrels that ultimately had became Blanton's. My father just looked And it was like, he was so proud and so happy that after all these years, even though it had been there all along, it was acknowledged. And, uh, but he would have never, ever to his grave have said that, well, I'm going to upend Elmer and say, I was the one that chose. They don't do stuff like that. And so, and that's where this whole thing, that's how you get respect from one group to the other. And that's why these old master distillers, when one of them gets in trouble at their distillery, the others come to their aid. They don't, Talk about they did it. They just do it.
2: It's a very humble kind of yeah. industry. Oh, yeah. And you know, you can you can tell there's a lot of a lot of I'll I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, and a lot of those sorts of things that are oh. happening as well. Yeah.
0: There's a respect associated
2: with
1: that. Right. <laughs> Type fraternity within the master distillers.
2: Yep. yep. So
1: another question, you know, you had
2: mentioned the word Irish in there. Like what, what do you mean by like having people of Irish descent that were coming in and helping pick barrels or anything like that?
0: Most people don't realize the original settlers that came out here and started doing a lot of this stuff were Scottish, Irish, and Welsh. Jack Daniels was actually Welsh, And when they came in here, they were still making whiskey like they made it in the mother country. They were making rye and barley whiskeys when they first started off. They encountered the Indians, and the Indians had been exposed to the Spanish. The Spanish introduced the Indians to corn whiskey, moonshine. And what they did was they started mixing those whiskeys together and created this new taste profile that we now call bourbon. But at the time, it didn't even have a name. It was just darn Good Whiskey, okay? Two famous French families influential in the development of this territory. One was a general in the Revolution, General Lafayette. So Fayette County, Lexington, Kentucky is named after him. But the other family is the same family that today owns the French International Banks of Bourbon. It was the Bourbon family. And this territory that we're sitting in right now actually went from Fincastle County, Virginia. When Thomas Jefferson was the governor of Virginia, this was part of Virginia. It was Fincastle County. But it went from Fincastle County, Virginia to Bourbon County, Virginia. And Bourbon County, Virginia encompassed 21 counties in this immediate area. All right. During that period of time, you're cranking out. That's back in Matt's family's day. They're cranking out this new good tasting hooch. That doesn't have a name. And it became known as Bourbon County Whiskey. And later on, they dropped county from the name and it became known as Bourbon Whiskey. There you go. Isn't life a journey? I'll tell you what, you know, we've had people on the show before. They're like, we don't really know where the name originated from. But that's a that's a pretty telling story right there, right? First animals to race in Kentucky were not horses. They were dogs. Greyhounds and whippets were Welsh dogs. And the first animals to race here were the dogs. And it was called a rag race. Horse racing came about because they were floating down the river with rafts. And they would get down to New Orleans. And if you were a runner for my whiskey barrels, you floated down there on a raft and you got a horse. But you got the strongest, fastest horse you could find because your saddlebags are going to be full of money. And people knew that you were a buyer. right? So you want to get out of Dodge as fast as you can and get back with that money as quick as you can. So rafts were going down, but horses were coming back. And all of a sudden, horse racing replaces dog racing in Kentucky.
2: I have no idea. See, no, now I learned
0: something that I... am
1: Fredipedia. Well, Fredopedia. life's a
0: journey, so life's a journey.
2: Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P L U S.com. com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about your history. So what age did your, your grandfather actually start working at this distillery?
0: And back then, was it the George T. Stagg Distillery? Yeah, that's back in the 1900s. So he rolls in here in the 1900s. Um, he was around here for like 52 years. So granddad was really kind of cool... Um, Uh, It's really kind of funny, Kenny. I tell folks all the time when they come in here and they look at me and they kind of like, I guess I'm that tour guide that they don't really expect to encounter. A lot of them and they're like, (laughs) "Okay," Um, because those images were never seen back in the day. We were never, you know, African-Americans were never on the forefront. What I tell folks when some of them come in, they start talking to me. I said, well, you know, history can be baggage or it can be an enhancer. And depending upon how you deal with it, that determines how you're going to address and greet and meet the people that you're about to encounter. So what actually happened around here was um, uh, there were a couple of plantations. And one of the plantations was um, uh, Colonel West was the plantation owner, and he had two plantations. One was in Virginia, as we know it today, Uh, but the other plantation was downstream from this distillery. And uh, he fathered a couple of kids, okay, by his cook. And um, that's how my family came to be in this area, okay, on my granddad's side. Um, when slavery was abolished, um, what they did was uh, he wanted the cook to go back to Virginia with him. They were still a pair. And the agreement was I will do this with you if you provide land. For the kids, so that they can be self-sustaining, okay, so they wouldn't de- be dependent on anyone. So that's how the land grant came about. Um, and my grandfather looked like a seasoned Irish Italian. You know the old Italians with that leathered skin and the pretty silver. I remember he was a cool dude. I, I all right, <laughs> anyway. And um, See, I'll grant you one wish, right? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, and so I was just I was amazed that you know, how he looked and how his his skin had, you know, had weathered and looked like, like to really nice leather or something like that. and But he didn't look like a traditional African-American slave. So that, and he, what happened was, he was down there on a river fooling around and Colonel Blanton, his family owned land on the other side of the distillery, and they met and became friends as kids. One of those old Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn kind of things. And um, Colonel Blanton starts to work at this distillery at the age of 16. And he invites my grandfather to come in and work with him. So they were around here together for 52 years. Those, those guys, uh, Colonel Blanton, uh, we call him a visionary because he navigated Buffalo Trace Distillery through two world wars, through the Depression, through the 1937 flood, and through Prohibition. And the distillery never shut down through any of that. He was a tremendous guy. And Granddad got a chance to go through all of that with him. So that Mm -hmm. was kind of cool. And then mid-1930s, I think uh, my father started to work here in uh, 1935, 1936. He claims that he was probably the reason that the flood came in in 1937. (laughs) (laughs) Just bad timing all around. Bad, bad timing, bad timing. Um, so he comes in in 1937. And uh, 1936, uh, uh, Dad comes in. And during that period of time, um, uh, Colonel Blant was kind of like doing things around here. Then Elmer comes in uh, a little bit later. And, uh, and then they hook up. And they were around here together for, I guess... Together for I guess maybe about forty-two, forty-three years, and then they would bring him in off and on. So if you put those sporadic pieces together, it's about forty-seven years for the two of them. But from the nineteen thirties until Dad passed away, um, he was involved with this distillery. So he gosh, I didn't even thought about it that way. So the last, the last official act that he did was in. Um, that was what, 2008, and that was when he rolled out the six millionth barrel. So at 94 years old, he had become the only living person to have personally handled every millionth barrel that's ever come through Buffalo Trace Distillery since Prohibition. Wow, it's amazing. So, well,
2: yeah another another kind of thing that you know i found about you know reading is that you know not only did your father but your grandfather as well they they both had uh, like a special relationship with colonel blanton and one of the things that i found is that, you know your your grandfather would go on special business trips with him as well as uh, your father would would also cook fish form. He'd fillet fish form. So kind of, man,
0: kind of talk about man, those have things. You've been, you've been rooting around here, kiddo. I'll, I'll tell, tell you, you what. It's all amazing right, what can you, can you can find I the internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really, it's, um, the way this all came about, remember what I said, some things are very humbling, okay? Um, one of the things that I learned from my dad and my granddad along the way was, they said, when somebody asks you to do something... Uh, and they are the folks in charge. And you have respect for those folks. He says, no matter what it is that they ask you to do, take the time to do it. And I was like, okay. He says, hear me out. Whenever somebody asks you to do something, he says, respect of them or not. If they are above you, do it. And I said, okay. And he said, so. He said, "Um, you've probably heard about things that we've had to do around here. And I said, yeah. He said, but because we did those things that may have been distasteful for others to do, that allowed them to know that if things really got tough, and we really got in a ditch, I would go into the ditch and dig you out. And I never thought about that. So the the flaying of the fish and all these things that uh, he had uh, granddad and dad doing and things like that, um, it was like Colonel Blanton was really a master chef. People didn't realize it. He was a botanist. Uh, They've got an herb garden and all that that they're redoing up on the side of the hill. Um, his wife had made a comment one time. She said, I would rather cook for 100 people than clean up the mess that Colonel Blanton makes in the kitchen. <laughs> so, um, but what we learned from all that is he was entertaining some people. He had a reason for doing this. And my father had a way of filleting fish uh, that you could do bass and crappie a certain way. And basically, it just opens up not a bone to be had, and they're just really nice pieces of fish that would just fly off, fall right off the bone. And Colonel Blanton knew how to cook it when, when Dad would fillet it a certain way. Well, a lot of the other workers would make fun of him. Well, you got to go up there and clean them chickens. You got to go up, there, you know, and, and he was doing chickens and he had, Colonel Blanton had some other things he was doing. But you're going up there and you're cleaning, cleaning the chickens coops. You're cleaning the fish. You're doing all this other stuff. And they made it sound like it was demeaning to have to do this stuff. And dad said, that's okay. And every now and then the colonel would slip him a piece of that fish and kind of make, and we got to eat that, so it's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, because dad was dad was looking out for our family, okay? He knew that as long as he did these things, they were near, he would always have a job. So, you know, so you learn a little bit about why you do things the way that you do them. So that's really what I learned from my dad, and my granddad about this is um, going into the warehouse and patching those barrels. It's a messy job uh, back, in the, back when they were doing it. Uh, you were climbing around those old barrels. You were having to use this um, pieces of burlap and stuff like that to tighten them up. You had to do them a certain way. And because of this leak hunting and leak stopping is a, is a skill. Uh, I think currently we're one of the few major distilleries that still has a team of leak hunters and leak stoppers, right? and they basically go through and inspect the barrels twice a year. Okay, but when you're old, when you're aging older whiskeys, you have to have some do someone do that because periodically those barrels will develop a leak, and if you've been paying tax on your whiskey for 15 or 20 years, the last thing you need to do is open up an empty barrel. So those are some of the jobs and things that these Irish knew about. And how do you fix these barrels? And what do you do with these barrels? And how do you position the barrels a certain way so that the bung doesn't blow out of the barrels? So that's what Bung's Up is all about. That's what the barrel rolling contest is about. People think that it's a contest to see who can roll the barrels around the course the fastest. It's really a technique that you use to put your barrels into the warehouse for extended aging. See,
2: I'm learning more and more stuff by the minute over here.
1: (laughs) How do you uh, how do, how do you stop the leaks without having to change out a whole barrel?
0: Well, if it's me personally, I have a unique way of doing that. I just usually try to just put my thumb over it <laughs> and let it release the pressure every now and then. You know, <laughs> no. get a straw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's it's uh, it's basically it's a uh, it's a. It's a one-time affair because you're going to get soused when you try to do that and drink the whole whiskey out of that barrel. No, the the real way of doing it is they use a uh, – uh, they're little cedar shims and pegs. And uh, what you do is you don't really – you basically use – it looks like an Allen wrench or um, basically like a flathead screwdriver a little Phillips head, depending upon whether you're going to use the shim or the peg. And you don't really tap all the way in through – The wood. You only go in part of the way. And then what you do is you take that cedar shimmer peg and you just start pounding on it with this little hammer. And you do that. And what it does is it splits the grain of the wood. Remember, the hoops are not attached to the wood. And by splitting the grain of the wood on the upper part of the barrel, it will pinch it Hmm. down in the lower part where the barrel is leaking. The art is knowing where to make that little notch up above, because if you do it incorrectly, the barrel will actually leak worse. So it is a skill. It really is a skill. So Cooper in early European days didn't mean barrel maker. Everybody hangs their hat on cooperage plants and barrel making. But Cooper in early European days meant a worker of wood. They were actually carpenters and cabinet makers and furniture makers. And that's why the heads of the old whiskey barrels were made with dials like you do furniture. Okay? I'm, I'm learning, man. I'm All right. Yeah. And it also helps you to understand why, remember, then, there were workers of wood. It helps you to understand why the barrels were always made out of white oak. And the wooden structures, those old warehouses, their pole barns, their fences, and their stalls, was always made out of red oak. The reason, red oak leaks like a sieve, but it is the last choice of wood of termites and insects. And when livestock bite, bite into it, it's bitter to the taste. So they leave their fences stalls along, and stalls alone, and the pole barns remain intact. Remember, they didn't have orchid and termination, pressure-treated wood back in the day. So the settlers had learned all this. And white oak has a special property called telosis. They're little bars that run crossways of the grain, and it actually blocks alcohol molecules from passing straight through the wood. So when whiskey is aging in a barrel and the pressure builds like a two-liter soda bottle when it gets hot, those molecules expanding build so much pressure up inside that barrel. It pushes the whiskey out through the char into the fibers of the oak wood itself. And when it gets out there, because the water molecules are smaller, the water gets pushed out into the air and that's your angel share. It's a water vapor and it still smells pretty darn good, but okay. (laughs) Uh, But that's, but what actually happens is because the alcohol molecules are larger they get trapped in the fibers of the wood and it gives the alcohol molecule a chance to break down the saps and rosins in the fibers of the wood. So when the barometric pressure changes or the temperature cools down, it actually creates a vacuum inside the barrel and it pulls the whiskey back the other way. They're called cycles. So depending upon where the barrel sits in the warehouse and the temperature variation or the pressure variations, that determines the frequency and the amount of loss that you will lose in the whiskey coming out of that barrel, so you lose about three to four percent each year, but you lose ten percent the first year. Right.
2: So interesting. So uh, kind of going back to the the family piece. So you know, you you your father and your grandfather, you know, they they did some of these oddball tasks for yeah. for yeah. the distillers. Has the has the family tradition been kept alive? Is Harlan you making you
0: go to Kroger and pick up red form or anything like that every <laughs> once in a while? <laughs> No, no, no. Harlan's got his own little secret stash of yeast, and so uh, no. We, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, no, uh, around here, I mean, we still have um, we still have tasks and things that we have to do. It's not associated with uh, the operation of distillery from a production standpoint, but um, a lot of people don't realize uh, at Buffalo Trace Distillery, just like some of the other distilleries. Uh, the visitors are really just as important as those barrels of whiskey. So you have to put a different spin on it and look at it like, if I was somebody new walking into this distillery, they may have heard about this distillery, but a lot of people have not. And so their introduction to your product is just like putting a, a barrel of whiskey into a warehouse. Okay? dependent upon where you put that barrel in the warehouse, that's going to determine what you get out at the end. When that visitor walks onto the property at Buffalo Trace Distillery, their first encounter is driving in. All right, And so they are blown away at when they get back in here, how big this place actually is and how pretty it is back in here. So the history has been preserved. It's not a shiny, pretty kind of a place. It's the way that it was. You know, back in the 1800s when you came across the ridge and you came down into here, some of these old warehouses that they first encounter go back to the 1800s. Okay. So that's their first encounter is, wow, this is pretty cool. And then they're greeted by someone. And it's just like that barrel being introduced to where it's going to sit in the warehouse. All right. The cycles in and out of the wood. It's just like them going from one part of this distillery to another part of this distillery where they're going to meet somebody working in the warehouse. And then they're going to go to somebody working in the bottling house. Two different pieces of the process, but both are critical to the final result. And the objective at the end of this is they get a chance to come up to the bar and taste the result of what they got a chance to experience from introduction to what it's going to be like as the final encounter. And that final encounter is that bottle of bourbon that goes on the shelf. The final encounter for us in the gift shop is their reaction as they get ready to leave. And it's just a delight to hear them say, this is one of the coolest things we've ever done. This is one of the most enjoyable experiences we've ever had. And that's just like it says that that barrel went into the warehouse Harlan Wheatley made that product. He came up with how he was going to do it. Leonard Riddle and those guys worked the warehouse. Okay, Don and them figured out when it's time to bring those barrels out. And that product, that result, is captured in that visitor's encounter with that product. So it's really amazing. Both of them are aging processes. And it's just kind of neat at the end to see that they're just as happy with that product as they were with the visit coming to this distillery.
2: And being able to have the utmost uh guided tour by you, right? No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> Don't start that. Don't start that. No, I tell you, uh, I enjoy listening to some of the other tour guides. It's just, I mean, each one does homework. I mean, our objective is, all right, I've heard, okay, I've heard Matt spill on Buffalo Trace Distillery. I wanna take it another way. So we, one, of the, one of the guys here is uh, he's uh, retired from uh, Kentucky State Police. Uh, he was uh, in the CSI lab. Oh, wow. So he's a chemist, really a chemist. So when somebody starts throwing out chemical formulas and hypothetical, go? hey, Jeff, what do you think? <laughs> he goes give us a real lowdown. One of the other guys uh, that recently um, uh, retired from here, his health got, it, uh, uh, got him down. Uh, he was with the Division of Forestry. We learned a ton about oak and uh, different types of oak and species of oak, countries of origin of oak. The only stipulation for bourbon is it's got to be white oak, period. Nothing about all these other things that go into the flavors in white oak. Okay, so uh, there are up to over, I think, about 300 flavors that you can get out of white oak, depending upon country of origin and what grew around the base of the tree.
2: Well, it's interesting. I mean, at least one thing in my industry is that if you're the smartest person in the room, then you need to get a new job. So it seems like you, uh, you have the, the variable about it. You get information from from a lot of different people here that it all kind of just all consumes. And you, you kind of just grab a lot of tidbits that you can share that anybody can really share on, on each one of the tours then.
0: Absolutely. And the cool part about that, Kenny, is is that what we tell folks, we have some folks that are really, really into bourbon. And what we tell them a lot of times is, is that, uh, if you ask us something, you know, it's not like stump the tour guide, which some of them try to do So you know, um, we are, uh, we are allowed to say, I don't know, but before you leave, we'll try to hook up with somebody that will give you that answer. Um, and it's not just about whiskey and sometimes it's about their history about their family. Uh, We just had the funniest thing that happened yesterday. Um, This lady came in with her family and she looked just like our public relations person. And we were like, oh, wow, this is really, really neat. So uh, we were telling her that she looked just like, you know, our uh, public relations director. And this lady was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so we called her name's Amy Prescott. So we called Amy up on the phone and said, Amy, this is crazy. I said, but do you have a moment? I said, there's a lady down here that looks like your twin. And uh, they have, we found out that her this lady's father was associated with Barton. And he used to do the... Uh, the graphics and the billboards and the signs. And one of his, he was talking about one of his up around the Chicago area is still up there today. And so we were talking about this. And so Amy comes down. Those folks could not believe that someone in another capacity would stop what they were doing and come down and spend time and chat and talk to them. And they found out a lot of cool stuff. Um, and it's just, I think that's what makes Buffalo Chase special. Oh, I thought you were
2: getting ready to tell us it was they were actually filming an cu- uh, undercover boss. Yeah, that's yeah, like- yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> believe, believe,
0: yeah, yeah. No, but believe it or not, actually, uh, we we got some pictures and they look like sisters. They it? really look a lot alike, and so, uh, but for those folks, just like that honey barrel. So that's a good way of looking at it, Matt. That was a honey barrel for those folks, and what they experienced is just like getting an exceptional bottle of bourbon. And every time they reach for a bottle of bourbon that's associated with our distillery, that moment, that memory, that experience will become part of the taste profile of that product because it just brings back real good feelings. Well, how about it? It, comes, it all comes full circle.
1: Yeah. I just, uh, you know, you've obviously been at this a long time. <clears throat> what what keeps you going? I mean, you seem to love your job. You, you seem to, you're great interacting with people. At the end of the day, how do you know it's been a successful day to you? I mean, you're still learning new things,
0: Still learning, still learning. Um, I had a chance to do uh, a couple of events with Lincoln Henderson, um, with um, with Fred No and Jimmy Russell, uh, Elmer, all these old guys. And one of the things I learned along the way is um, the more these folks know, the quieter they become. And so what I learned is sometimes if you just listen and let other people ask questions uh i'm still assembling stuff i'm still having aha moments and you would think that being a rancher all my life that yep it's all pretty cool i can go have lunch with gary gayhart who was a master distiller before harlan and uh, he'll say let's go back to the old plant again and he'll say see that that? yep And he'd pick on that little old, on the gate, yep, it's still fluctuating a little bit there. Yep, it's always supposed to be between so-and-so and so-and-so. And 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 I said, well, Gary, why is that? He says, well, that's where you want to be with that one. And I'm like, okay. And what he does is he, he then walks me down to what ultimately that would result in the taste profile of your product. Huh, who knows? And it's only when you just keep getting these aha moments. And so it allows you, you can come back and take another tour, uh, you know, six months from now, and I will stumble upon something else. Um, We just stumbled upon some old plates from one of the old original column stills. Well, when I went back and looked at that, I was trying to understand the difference between column stills and pot stills, Just, just real quick. I discovered that, remember, Scottish and Irish and Welsh, right? Well, pot stills were the traditional way of making whiskey. Column stills and bagpipes were both created by the Irish, not the Scotch. And the proper name for a column still is a coffee still, named after the Irishman who invented it. C-O-F-F-E-Y. People like...
2: <laughs> Taking <laughs> back a little
0: bit. Huh? Yeah, and we said that, that we think that maybe that has something to do with why whiskeys spelled two different ways. Hmm, yeah. Scottish way, Drop the e, keep K-Y, the e. coffee, E-Y, K-E-Y. We there think maybe that's the Irish and Scottish way of making – we don't know. But it's like just crazy things like that that make it fun when you talk talk about things in whiskey when you're on tours. Well, maybe you need to write
2: a book and they can put it in the gift shop of all the, uh, the theories the theories by Freddie Johnson, right? <laughs> no, I don't think I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Number one seller. No. Yeah, Fredopedia, no. I like that.
0: But thank you very much. I appreciate, you know, you just want to this- – talk uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of neat no
2: this is this is fun it's, <laughs> great. it's it's always been great to you know you're you're a legend that that people know about i mean it's you can go and google yourself you're out there right so you can find out all the great things people are saying about you online uh, but again wanted you to come thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your family history because it's it's always something that you know we're, we're glad that we can get down and we can share with the, the thousands of our listeners as well
0: Kenny, thank you very much. Thank you very much.
2: Well, absolutely. So if you do like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you do like the show, make sure you support us on Patreon. That's dot com slash bourbon pursuit and matt thank you again for being a co-host today this is a this is fantastic an absolute pleasure it was a great time thank you awesome so if you do like what you hear uh, make sure you uh, send us anything any suggestions um, ideas of any ideas that people you want to have on the show uh, we're more than open send us an email it's the duo t-h-e-d-u-o at thebourbonpursuit.com and we will see you all next time